this, 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 this show is brought to you by Safety FM. Welcome to the award-winning Interest in Health and Safety podcast, making health and safety as important as everything else we do in business. And now your host, health and safety specialist, mentor and speaker, Colin Nottage. Hi there, it's Colin Nottage here and welcome to the Interesting Health and Safety podcast. Today I am joined by Moni Hogg. Moni is based down in New Zealand. Um, for a number of years, she's been involved with uh, with Rocket Lab, which is, uh, I suppose, the, the New Zealand um, space program. Uh, she's been instrumental in introducing um, safety differently into that business and has now, now started to, to branch out and is starting to work with organisations all across New Zealand, you know, trying to trying to introduce a, a sort of modern way of uh, managing health and safety in organisations. I will pass you over to Moni. Moni, thank you so much for coming on and joining me on the Interest in Health and Safety podcast. Could you um could you just give us a little bit of uh, a bit of background about yourself, who you are, you know, where you live, what you do? Oh, thanks, Colin, for having me. I really appreciate you having me on your podcast. Yeah, I'm uh, from New Zealand, so I'm a Kiwi from down under, and I'm a safety differently practitioner. And yeah, I spend a lot of time with different organisations all across New Zealand, mainly helping them develop their safety differently strategy, walking them through, you know, developing a roadmap to uh, introduce new view methodology and, you know, look at being way more adaptable to, you know, building up the team and changing the culture. So, yeah, I really love what I do. I'm really passionate about safety differently, safety too. And, you know, we're doing really well down here in New Zealand where we have a, a leader in in our WorkSafe and our government who's actually leading it out. So we've had a lot of traction in the last couple of years and things are going crazy. Yeah. Oh, that's brilliant. I mean, that's, that's really great to hear. I mean, there is some amazing stuff um, that's sort of coming out of uh, that part of the world. Um, I've, I've been fortunate enough to to interview some some amazing people in Australia and, and New Zealand. Um, for the for the podcast, and it's uh, it just seems to be a real hotbed of, uh, of 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 I suppose enthusiasm and and also innovation. And I think that's uh, you know, and that was one of the things that that when I when I had a look through you know sort of your your profile and all that, you know, it's lovely to read things about innovation and micro experiments. I'm, I really want to talk about micro experiments at some point, you know, you can really find out what that's uh, you know what that's all about. But um, you know, so so a little bit more. I mean, how long have you how long have you been sort of involved in in health and safety, and and you know, and why what what got you to go down the, the sort of the safety differently route? Yeah, sure. Well, I'm safety born and bred in the sense of you know 20 years mainly in the construction industry, but I've consulted and trained across agriculture, manufacturing, engineering, mainly the high risk industries, but also government and community services organisations, but. I got lucky, I guess, in 2016, and I joined an innovation team for Fletcher Building, which is the largest construction company in New Zealand. And I'd heard about safety differently and actually dabbled with the the concepts already. And I went in boots and all, and in an innovation setting, you know, it, it really suits that kind of environment. And after that, I got the opportunity to set up the safety framework, the ground safety framework for a rocket manufacturer, which uh, gave me the opportunity to run Safety Differently Safety 2 more or less full scale. It was a a grassroots situation, greenfield situation. 
And we were able to do it from the ground up, from the bottom up, right from day one, rather than having a traditional system to adapt from. So it was quite a unique opportunity, I guess. And as a result of that, you know, we, we were sort of way out in front, I guess, in terms of being able to trial the different concepts and ideas that you know, Eric Holnagel, Sydney Decker, Drew Ray and all those guys were, were putting out on the street at the time. So, you know, I've, I've had that opportunity and really now it's really about taking it to other organisations and, and adapting it into what, are, you know, are more traditional frameworks at this stage, but using that innovation methodology, which is so exciting. I mean, it's just so much fun. I, I love what I do, Colin. I really do. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. I mean, there's two, there's two things I want to explore on that. First of all, I really want to talk about, you know, space rockets. I mean, I'm, I love, I love all that sort of stuff. All right. I really love that. So, uh, yeah. um, so, so how you've got it into a business, you know, starting from, from scratch, that'd be great. But also I'd like to explore a little bit later on the challenges that maybe come from, from going into a business that's already got an, an established way of doing things. And it's how you, how you change that. But so, so starting with, um, you know, starting with, I mean, high, quite high risk space rockets, you know, there's a, I mean, there were, there, you, you, they didn't put people into space, though, did it? It was all, it was all, uh, all satellites and stuff like that. Is that correct? Or is there? Yeah, a, yeah. A, yeah. A, there's, a, sorry. Oh, I, I know in the UK, uh, there's aerospace startups as well, and you know, in New Zealand, we've we've become front runners in it. But you know, the the technology is just incredible, and obviously a, a high-performing team, a mix of engineers and rocket scientists from not just New Zealand, but from uh, Northern America and from Europe as well, and, you know, just phenomenal, the sorts of things that we're doing down here, so um, you'll have to, you'll have to look it up, Colin, find out a little bit more, but mm -hmm. um, I, I guess, you know, in an innovation setting like that, Safety Differently is phenomenal for building a really agile and lean culture. And the, the, the concepts, uh, you know, deliver that culture change, but really what we need right across organizations is building more trust and more ownership within not just how we run safety, but how we, how we lead our teams generally. You know, if we mm -hmm. want to become more high performing and, you know, we want to instill that kind of culture where people are able to work together in a, in a more of a collective fashion uh, without the kind of hierarchy that we're so used to in current management methodologies. The, the safety differently, safety two thinking really delivers that. So it's not just for, you know, a good safety framework, it's actually for the performance of an organisation. And, you know, any startup needs to, to really be in that frame of mind. And, and I think that the challenge for organisations right at the moment around that is to learn how to let go of control and learn how to change their mindset around the relationship between leadership, uh, operational management, and, you know, people at the coalface that are doing the work. And of course, you know, the ideas around the people doing the work of the experts and the risk have been popularized, certainly here in New Zealand, and I'm, I'm sure you guys are ahead of us over in the UK, but what does it actually look like to create a safety framework around that and I've had the opportunity you know in, in a couple of these innovation organizations to run self-managing teams which in a sense is a step on from learning teams mm -hmm. which are popularized here and what that means is that the teams create all their own procedures they decide what rules they want 
uh, and you know they get together and, and run the critical risk uh, management programs. And in order to do that, essentially you have to resource the teams. So, you know, they need to have budgets that they can spend as, as collective groups. And then beyond that, you, you need to design a, a process whereby they can pitch business cases to, uh, you know, above them in, in the food chain, which you naturally still have to, to get the things that they need, you know, the tools, the plant and equipment and, and you know, the CapEx improvements. So, you know, it can be done. It requires um, exceptional leadership to do that and, uh, I guess, transformational leadership, mm. which is really the journey um, that we're all on, I guess, in this current day with a lot of change that's going on right across the globe. Mm. So how do the, um, um, you know, because it, it is a really, it's a really different and innovative approach to, uh, you know, to doing things. And, you know, how do you get the the sort of senior management team, I suppose, to have the, to have the confidence to to let go a little bit because that's that's what you're that's part of what you're saying not everything you're saying but part of what you're saying how do you know because you know you were talking about this 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 bottom-up approach you know which uh, which is which is interesting to hear but how do you yeah. how do you how do you still include the the senior management team with this bottom-up approach if they're if they're not you know as involved in the decision-making process yeah, well, I mean, there's several aspects to that. One is that, you know, if you, you take a typical organisation um, at, at this stage of the game, the, the thing is that you've got to trial things out. So you've got to run things on a micro-experiment basis because, you know, most management are led by the need for results, right? And it's difficult to see things that are different when, when you're not used to it. And so you need to trial things on, on a micro-experiment basis take things very slowly, take very small steps. And what happens essentially is when, all the times that I've worked with operational management, particularly in leadership, is when they, they take that step, have a go at something, and they see the results and go, oh, far out. Why didn't we do this sooner? It's just it's totally obvious. And they see the engagement with people. And, and that's when you get that mindset change. So in a sense, it's stepping beyond the fear, I guess, and, and having a go. And... In order to do that effectively, though, you need to frame it up very well. You need to use the latest kind of theory and safety science to back it. You need to frame things up with a hypothesis and a means by which you can review and evaluate what you're doing and and then jump in. I mean, one of the things that I do a lot at the moment is work with and mentor organisations in taking that journey and socialising the ideas and framing up how you can step out in small iterative ways to, to do that. Um, yeah. I mean, so are you able to sort of, um, you know, are you able to give any examples of sort of those those small steps, you know, the sort of things that the the management team were doing to, because I suppose that for them, you know, that taking those small steps is very much about them then getting the confidence to take bigger steps. You know, I think that's that's that's, that's how I sort of see it. But can you, can you give us some examples of where that's worked? You know, when you when you were at a um, at Rocket Lab, maybe. Um. <clears throat> Well, we went in boots and all there. We didn't micro-experiment anything. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, probably that would apply to, to more recent times. I think um, okay. when, that, when that comes to mind, actually, is a, um, and this is really more around the decluttering, we had uh, a, a colleague and I had uh, a mission, I guess, to create a more ethical uh, can, well, more ethical conditions for a particular organisation where the CEO was very hung up on legal defensibility mm. and he had quite strict 
KPIs around producing what I would call tick and flick types of uh, forms and uh, processes. And, you know, the people had been speaking up for a number of years, essentially, and saying that, you know, it was causing them a lot of stress and they were working stupid hours and it wasn't really all that helpful in terms of actually creating engagement with the, the people that they were working with. And, you know, there, there'd been actually a couple of consultants that had gone in before me and had tried to sort of challenge this particular CEO a, around this. And, you know, he basically told them where to, where to jump, essentially, because from his perspective, of course, you know, you know, he had to protect the organisation from a legal point of view. Yep. Now, we framed up a, a micro experiment around getting the, a small team together to reinvent those processes and, you know, and trial it. And what we did, and, and I'm sure this is not a mystery to anyone, people are doing this all over the world, is we created a more of a conversational kind of approach. Some of it was recorded and documented and some of it didn't need to be. And uh, what we discovered during that process was that all that tick and flick paperwork was sitting in, in a filing system somewhere and actually creating legal uh, liability because there was stuff that hadn't been followed up on. And for all we knew, you know, there were things that, you know, would, would come out in an investigation potentially. So when we were able to explain to him as a result of going through the micro experiment that not only was he setting himself up for potential problems, but also is disengaging everyone. And, and this was evidence. I mean, he got on board straight away and thought it was the most marvelous thing in town. So, you know, I find that it, it's really just leading people, I guess, through that, through that fear. And, and sometimes I say that to myself, I'm in the business of leading people through their fear. And, and, you know, we've been taught as organizations to become, extremely risk averse and and in doing so you know we we don't we shut down creativity and we shut down innovation and and more than that we shut down you know the ability of people to do amazing things and certainly from my time in the innovation industry I've I've learned uh, you know firsthand just what people are actually capable of and I, I firmly believe that whatever industry people are in you know just people are the most intelligent human beings and capable of, of incredible things and we just have to create an environment around them in which they can express that and step into that potential mm. no that's uh, i mean that's that's really really great to hear the way that you're talking there and, and and again it's you know there's always this 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 need or not always this need but there there's this perception that you need this comfort blanket you know around you you know you need to be wrapped in it to be safe but in actual fact, you know, you know, as you say, you know, sometimes that blanket can be the thing that uh, that smothers you, and so and so, you know, what you you know what you need to do is 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 be 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 very very, I suppose, direct about what you do and don't want to to record. And you, and you said, you know, you said when you were talking there, you know, some things some things we we recorded, and some things we decided we didn't need to. How do you go about determining what that is? You know, is that is that something that you're doing with the business? Is it is that something that the business are doing themselves? You know, and they're actually saying, you know, we don't feel that it's necessary to record this, or we or we feel that we should be recording this. How does how does that work? Hmm. Well, the the concept I use, and and bear in mind that I'm mentoring for the most part, so I personally create an environment around people where they can step into the. Uh, being able to make those decisions themselves uniformly, you know, they're, they're the experts after all. Uh, the, the thing is that most of the time, and 
and I, I work in this manner and I pretty much across the board, really we only need to be focusing on the critical risk. And I call it, that's one of my sort of turn of phrases, is the um, safety bin. So I really encourage people to put most of the, can I say, BS in the safety bin. You know, I mean, most of it we don't need. Human beings can deal with the day-to-day operational matters themselves. And, and as long as you're really focusing on that potential for either chronic harm, you know, and focusing on occupational health and well-being, and also serious and catastrophic harm, then you can't really go wrong. And, you know, you can trust your team if you frame it up for them around that to, to come forth with those sorts of things that are important and need to be highlighted. And what I've seen for sure is that, you know, the more that you give people trust and ownership, the more that they do actually speak up mm. and, you know, as we know, the, the kind of over-the-top rules and procedures that we've, that we've had for a long time and the kind of focus on legal defensibility that's just turned into a bureaucratic nightmare has shut down uh, people, you know, feeling as though they can speak up. And, and when you take that away, people do. And, and then it becomes an upward spiral. You know, people speaking up builds trust both ways and, and, and so on. Um, where I'm sort of working with organisations at the moment is around building that relationship between directors and the frontline teams. You know, it, it strikes me as interesting that sometimes, and in fact, I'm being kind a lot of times, directors wouldn't even know that the people that do the work on a day-to-day basis and vice versa. You know, the guys at the coalface wouldn't have a clue who these directors are. And I worked with a, a client recently in the electricity distribution industry and talked about my experiences in the innovation industry and the types of things we did in terms of bottom-up safety. And the, the team and the health and safety reps came back and said, well, you know, this is all very well, but these directors who, who we're protecting in this organisation, because, of course, we have personal liability for directors in New Zealand now, mm-hmm. these directors, we don't even know who they are. Who are they? You know, why can't they show up and, and be real and honest with us mm-hmm. and, and, you know, become, become human to us, I guess. So we're going through a process at the moment where, um, as, uh, as tongue-in-cheek as it might sound, the directors are coming forth with their most embarrassing moments and telling stories about their biggest fashion faux pas and all that sort of thing, but um, moving into kind of spending more time at that front line and, and becoming you know, mates really, because at the end of the day in organisations, we're all in it together to deliver the goods and services which we do to our communities. And, and you know, it's, um, it's about becoming more connected, I guess, and I, I think that's the most important thing. I think the safety differently, safety too type of thinking really is about building connection um, across an organisation and with communities that we work in. Mm. You know, I think it's, it's really important. And I, you know, I mean, one of the things that we encourage people um, to do is, um, you know, challenge challenge a director to go out into a business and go and, and go around and talk to people and not mm. talk about work. Go into the workplace and don't talk about work and just go and go and find out, find out what people are, who they are, who their families are, you know, what they're, you know, what they're about. And it's that's so that's so powerful. But they find it so difficult, you know, they find, you know, they often, you know, especially, you know, the first few times that they're going out there, you know, they often feel really uncomfortable about it because it's something that they've, they've never done before. And, uh, and again, it's just, uh, you know, but they'll, they'll happily do it 
you know, in, in, in a, in a different environment, you know, at home, in a pub, whatever it may be, you, you know, you, you know, you, you ask about, you ask about people outside of their work lives, but, uh, you know, that's, uh, no, that's, that's good. So, I mean, you know, what, how would you, I mean, I, I hope you don't mind me sort of focusing on or something quite, quite small here, but, um, yeah, yeah. forklift truck, a forklift truck then. Okay. Um, mm. you know, I see so many organizations that have got daily inspection sheets, for forklift trucks. Okay. What do you, how do you feel about that? Huh. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh. Well, <clears throat> yeah, I, I think that, uh, the, I mean, this, I've got a clear answer to that. The answer to the daily forklift checklist is go to your team, sit them down and ask them how they want to manage their forklift safety. And if they say, look, this is what we need in order to keep safe here, then do that. This is not difficult. And um, I would wager that most teams would say that the daily checklist is totally over the top. Mm-hmm. I, I guess they might say that um, a weekly one would be good. Uh, or maybe they would say to you that, you know, we can self-manage this and, and you guys can stuff off, which, which I've had before too. Mm-hmm. I think we've become so fearful in organisations, you know, and mm, the yeah. reality is that people are naturally quite responsible and the more you treat them as responsible human beings, the more they'll step up to that. Uh, in one of the organisations I worked with, I decided at the beginning of my time there to not police uh, a single thing. So not to, to create any paperwork myself and not to police anybody. And that might sound absolutely crazy, but uh, one thing that did happen <coughs> on the piece is I came across someone that was had their safety glasses on their head, you know, and they were doing a task. And I uh, accidentally, because I'm, you know, so used to it as a safety lead, asked them to put their glasses on, and then walked away and thought, "What crikey, what am I doing here?" And I stepped back and I said, "Actually, I'm sorry about that. No, you, you can make your own decision about this." And when I, I gave a clear message to the team that they could take um, ownership of, of their own rules like that, you know, they totally stepped up. They, there was no no rules to, um, to I guess, rebel against because as human beings, you know, set a rule and we'll, we'll try and push it, you know. And I've never seen such engagement and, and uh, responsibility around that, the autonomy that was given to them. Having said that, what I wrapped around it was a process that I call peer-to-peer accountability. So removing the need for discipline, but using peer-to-peer accountability instead. And I don't know, Colin, if you follow the All Blacks here down under. <laughs> but uh, I think we've the- beaten you a few times. I think we've lost more. I think we've lost more. Um, you know, the, the, the best rugby team in the world, of course, um, of course, from my perspective. But uh, we have a, a, a fantastic ethos that the All Blacks actually teach around New Zealand within organisations around being high performing. And one of the uh, ubiquitous terms that they use is, is their what they call their no dickheads policy, which, <laughs> um, you know, as Kiwis, we, we, we're really comfortable with those sorts of terms. And, and it's kind of a, a, a kind of humorous way to express uh, the fact that, you know, in a high-performing team, you need people that are team players and people that perform really well, but people that really want to work together and, and have great values. And 
they use this peer-to-peer -peer approach when there are problems. So if someone in, well, perhaps in the team or whatever has done something that might bring disrepute to the team, and it doesn't happen very often, but you know, we're human beings from time to time, these things do occur. What happens is the group, the, the guys actually sit the person down and just explain to them, you know, uh, what the consequences are on the team. And, and I use that within, within uh, organizations and, what it essentially teaches people is that they're not answerable to some authority above them. What they are is answerable to keeping each other safe. And, and that's highly demonstrable through a process like that. And, and you find after that, you really don't need discipline or rules for, for that much, except for perhaps situations where impairment might be involved, say drugs and alcohol or fatigue, you know, because obviously when people are impaired, that they can't make that same level of judgment. But uh, I've found that to be really effective and, and it really builds engagement. Hmm. So, so going, um, you know, you know, going back to your, your earlier point then when you're, um, you know, when you're going into to a brand new business where you can, you can go in green, you know, totally green field and, and do and, and start out that way. It's um you know it's it it probably is 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 not I wouldn't say straightforward but it's going to be a little bit easier than going into going into a business that's been running for 35, 40 years it's got its way of doing things so you know so how how do you go about about engage you know engaging with and and developing and and growing that environment where where the peer to peer process can can actually be successful how do you go how do you go about that. Yeah, well, the, the concept needs to be socialised, obviously, with leadership first. And one thing that I do suggest is that you wouldn't start out with, with a, a programme like that. You'd, you'd start out with smaller steps, really, you, yeah, know, yeah. Uh, you know, a learning team or starting to declutter a process or whatever. And then when you've had some success in some of those areas and, and you've got confidence in what you're doing, then you can, you can have a a try at this sort of approach, build a micro experiment around it, choose a, a team that uh, would be probably successful at it straight off the bat. You wouldn't want to start off with a team that you think could be a challenge. So go where there's love already kind of thing and where, where the leadership or the, the operational management are already managing their teams effectively. And, and you just hand hand that over and uh, you find that the guys absolutely love it uh, they think it's fantastic and you know that you just get better buy-in generally in terms of working for that organization and you know the desire to contribute to a team because the reality is being told what to do and treated like a child or you know that parent-child kind of relationship mm. type of um, construct that we have with safety one uh, you know, it's just disengaging, and people don't like it. Mm. Mm. Yeah, no, it's um, you know, it, it's it's very much um, you know, it's very much about about creating that environment where people, you know, people are able to to openly and honestly discuss how they do things. And and I suppose you know, when you're going into these organisations, are you are you from the start going much much bigger than safety as well? And you and you're getting the you're getting the businesses to look at how they do things from an environment and a quality and a financial you know because because all those benefits are going to come from 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 better engagement but it's but it's or are you going in purely looking at the from the from a safety perspective and the, and the other benefits just naturally occur 
you know. Mm, yeah, for the most part, it is. It's the crossover benefit of working with safety and well-being. But in terms of uh, economic benefits, that's the place that I start generally. I, mm-hmm. you know, we have too much bureaucracy in organisations, and I <coughs> do whatever I can to start out with creating evidence for the fact that you're actually going to save yourself time, money, um, productivity and also make things safer. And at first it seems to to leadership that, oh, how can you have both? You know, that, that's just the perfect world. So you have to create a construct around that and put some, uh, you know, proof on the table around it. And and I find that once you, you get to that point, then um, you, you'll get traction. The... Um, the, the tool that I tend to use around that, I'm, I get, I'm sure you guys in the, the UK are using it, is what I call, I call it a bureaucracy map. So it's really about quantifying how much time you're spending on safety activities and, you know, what the value of those are. I did it with an organisation last year and we, uh, we, did, we did an exercise on a, on a particular site and 30 staff uh, who were, you know, high-performing, the place was immaculate, were spending, in New Zealand dollars, obviously, $60,000 worth of time on safety activities. And, you know, it's $2,000 per head, which is way more than um, a week's wages here in New Zealand. And, you know, when you sort of show uh, leadership those kinds of figures, they start to realise that um, there are economic benefits in, in these adaptive methods uh, and when you've got people taking more, I guess, responsibility, uh, you know, you're on to a win-win. So it's really about pitching it like that, really. Mm. So to get that, I mean, to work that numbers out then, is it, is it looking at, you know, how, how, many, how many checklists there are, how many tick boxes are going on and, you know, how long it's taken, how long it's taken somebody to do that and then just, and then just multiplying the numbers up and, uh, and seeing what you come out with? Is that, uh, is that how you're doing that process? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think for the most part, it's duplication, which are, which is an issue. I mean, some organisations are, are a shocker, really, honestly. Government departments are the worst. You know, there's yeah. so much duplication and process and procedure that people have just gotten acclimatised to. And and then we wonder why we're working such long hours and um, getting stressed out. Mm. It goes, I mean, you know, for me, it goes, I can, I can remember, you know, I, I worked for a large quarrying company years and years ago and... Uh, and I had a, I had a, I had a, a decent sized team um, working uh, working with me, and um, and and we were producing these these reports every month. And well, you know, the safety team was spending so much time producing reports every month, and and in the end, I I, I just thought this is crazy. I went and had a chat with my my boss, and I said, look, what what do you actually want to know? You know, what do you want to know? And 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 we ended up just standardising a report just so that my guys told me what he wanted to know. It made it easy for me then to pass it on. But looking back at that, even that wasn't right, okay, because in actual fact, I don't think the guys at the top really knew what they wanted to know or, you know, or what they or what they wanted that to know was such, was such boring information, you know, accident, incident rates and, and all that kind of stuff, you know, whereas, you know, and it was, there, was hardly any, there was hardly any good news. There was hardly any good news in the reports that we used to put forward. It was wow. all based around issues and problems, you know. How, how do you feel about that? You you must see a lot of that. Yeah. What do you What do you feel about that? 
Well, you know, I've been on the side of the fence where I've deliberately run safety programs with no reporting whatsoever. Right, okay. Refusing to do reports. So I know that a lot of organisations are sort of adapting back and slimming them down, and I've been involved in supporting people with that. But, yeah, I've run with no reports, with no statistics, and just an open-door policy so that people can speak up about whatever's going on. But that's in order to do that, though, you need to run on that business case process where people have got the resources to be able to implement everything that they, that they need and uh, be able to pitch for um, you know, anything that's over and above because you've, you've, you've got to enable people with you know, the moolah, with the money. Otherwise, um, you're going to have to run it, you know, run safety with those kind of command and control type processes. But we don't, we don't need these statistics. It's a, it, it's a hangover from obviously the scientific management methods that we've gotten used to. Mm. And and I'll say too that, you know, I've run safety for a number, you know, for a number of years in established cultures where still to this day there have been no serious incidents at all at, without reports. I mean. It, you know, you could run an experiment for a year of no reporting and, and the, everything would change. People would start talking to each other mm. across the organisation. Mm. I, I think that we're, we're at a stage at the moment with the, this new thinking that's out on the street and we're, we're still so wedded to the need for legal defensibility. I, I personally... Uh, believe that one of the things we need to do as organisations in the coming years is drop the right to legal privilege. You know, our legal structure in New Zealand is such that if there's been a serious incident and, you know, there could be a prosecution, organisations, you know, can come under legal privilege and discuss what they're going to reveal to, you know, prosecutors and what have you. And, you know, that process essentially just... Uh, you know, shuts down, I guess, the, the, the most important things in developing, you know, safe cultures in our organisations. And we think of the two as unrelated, but they're not. They're intrinsically related. It's if we approach what we're doing with an underpinning desire to be totally open, honest and transparent, then um, we change the way we do things. And and I've run safety on that basis. So, uh you know, invited the regulator in, um, discussed with senior management and with the teams that we're going to be totally transparent. And during the process of proactive assessments, actually explain to them all the bits and bobs of the things that um, we're still working on. And um, that total transparency um, is, is really the way to go in terms of building that trust again. But of course, it, re- it requires exceptional leadership to be able to do that. Mm. Um, and, you know, if we can declutter our organisations from this unhelpful bureaucracy, then uh, we make the world a better place for everybody, essentially. I, you know, I, mm. we, uh, we work too many hours in the week, Colin, don't you think? Um, we've got better things to do than filling out paperwork, right? We've got families that we need to spend time with and, you know, exciting adventures to go on in the weekends and, um, you know, we we uh, we think that you know we can can manage all this stuff, but actually, it's it's affecting us as a society, and and the safety world has a, a place to play, and I think the evolution um, 
across across the globe and not just evolution and ethics but you know the evolution and and how we relate to each other between businesses and governments and and communities and and that's the challenge for us as a profession I do believe mm. so how um how do businesses that you work with then go about um go about risk assessment then what, what, what does that look like well, um, I mean, we use all this, the normal methodology down here in New Zealand, and I mean, you can do risk assessment through learning teams, obviously, and uh, you know, in, in those self-managing teams, people can do risk assessment. The uh, I, I personally, when I'm a safety lead, run run without job safety analysis or, or safe work method systems or anything like that. I, th- I think in terms of processes to, to deal with the day-to-day risk assessment uh, fit really neatly into, you know, lean manufacturing types of approaches, you don't really need anything more than that. You don't need a separate siloed safety management program mm. and um and i run yeah without it before and it, it's just as effective you know it's really about people having conversations and being able to to um as i said before uh find the way to resource the, their own solutions mm. and um the, and the need for a formal risk assessment goes out the window with that mm. Mm. yeah and no, i um i you know i really i really got some 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 sort of enough you know agreement of those with what you're saying there i mean you know the businesses that that, that we work with are really you know that, that almost use their, their their quality assurance system as the way of of explaining how how the work is done because those documents tend to be written in a much much more human way you know they, they're written around the task around the job you know there's so much this you know that they become a really great training tool then for for new people that are coming into the business because it explains how the how the job's done and it and if they're written well enough then they cover they cover the health and safety side the, the significant the significant items i mean there's there's so much this there's, there's, there's too much too much written from a from a health and safety risk assessment you know that just goes into so much detail and and and, no, and you know in a lot of cases nobody ever reads it do they you know just a, it's just a document that just sits there and you know, frustrating, frustrating. So, um, you know, the, so the de- decluttering then, the de- the decluttering of a of a of a business head, is it something that you you do on a on a on a small basis? So, look at a particular a particular process, a particular task, and and how can we make it? Uh, how can we streamline it? Or is it something that you do on a more of a, of a sort of a holistic approach and look right from the top of the business and strip strip things out? Which which approach do you take? Uh, yeah, that's that's a great question. I I've done both. Uh, I tend to I tend to at the moment run it with a learning team approach. It's a combination, you know. So you get the the teams together to talk about what what the uh, issues are from their perspective and get them to redesign things. I'm at the moment working with a company. Uh, it's it's a great little project where it's a one of the city councils for one of our, uh, probably our third or fourth biggest city in New Zealand. And, you know, they've got a large construction organisation that do a lot of capital works for them. And we're doing that more of a sort of a, a you know, a holistic approach really. And it's un, it really depends on the reason why you're doing it. So the, the underpinning concept behind this piece of work is 
that we we want to take away the hierarchy between you know the the essentially the head contractor and and the subcontractor both of which are you know large organizations i mean a, a city yeah. council and and create a, an equal living level playing field and and a partnership ethos so within the the framework of that to look at how we can declutter within that relationship and, and i don't know what it's like in the uk but uh, we're terribly guilty here in New Zealand of, you know, creating enormous amounts of bureaucracy around that those contractor relationships, mm. which drive everybody absolutely mad. And, uh, you know, we're just embarking on that journey at the moment. But, you know, it's it's can be a bit of a challenge because obviously two different organisations have two different cultures. And how do you ensure that, that there will be a meeting of the minds between the two teams in terms of being able to collectively resolve issues and and collaborate, but um, that's you know something that we're looking at resolving at the moment. And and I know that uh, here in New Zealand, across the country, a lot of these a lot of our large organisations have have really started fueling the journey along. So we're getting to sort of deal with some of these more gnarly issues now, and um, you know it's really exciting. Mm. It's um yeah it's so interesting because I mean in, in in the UK and I'm sure this is this is this is the case with yourselves as well. But there's a there's accreditation programs. So you know, and I'm not I'm not I'm not knocking any of these individually, but just as a whole, you know, there's things like Chaz and there's Safe Contractor and there's um, Construction Line and and uh, Achilles and um, all these different all these different accreditation programs and 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 all they're doing is is asking people to create paper. That's all mm. they're doing, you know, and you can, you know, you could actually, you could actually pass, you could actually pass one of these accreditation processes by producing a bit of paper and the people in the business will have never seen that bit of paper. If you know what I mean, you could actually, you could just, you could just upload it onto a system and there's some bod somewhere who will look at it and go, yeah, that fits, that fits our criteria. And so we say it's okay without actually, without actually asking, does the business actually do this? You know what I mean? And it's just a bit of paper. And it's terrible. You know, it's absolutely terrible. And it create it takes so much time and so much effort. And it's uh, you know, and it's been built. And, and but the problem with it is is that that people think, oh, well, if you're on this, if you're accredited, if you're on this scheme, then 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 you're great. You know, but it's it's just become this this huge process. And to be fair, I've heard I've heard rumors that they're on about that. You know, they're on about trying to streamline this whole process and actually, you know, remove some of these uh, some of these these things out. And, and I suppose you know we're going back again, going back to one of your earlier points about um, you know about uh, the you know the reason why a lot of this paper is produced. I don't know many many health and safety um, uh, or or, or uh, you know officers from the you know um, from the government you know uh, HSC inspectors that actually expect all this documentation. You know I don't think it, I don't think it comes from the regulator. From my experience, you know I mean the. Uh, you know, I work in a quarrying industry, and the quarrying industry's only got a small number of, uh, of of quarry inspectors. I think there's four of them in the UK. You know, for all the quarries in the UK, there's four there's four of them, and and when you talk to them, they're really sensible, pragmatic, you know, people that 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 want just want businesses to work safely. I think the problem comes more from the from the insurance side, and from the uh, you know you know for, you know and 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 it's it's that's where that's almost where we need to we need to challenge things. You know, and actually, you know, and actually, you know, you know, people feel that, 
you know, the ins- when when the, when the incidents happen, the insurance company are, are asking for this and are asking for that and are asking for this and are asking for that, and so they feel well, we need to put that together to uh, to, to to be right. Where in actual fact, none of that none of that documentation is actually helping the person that's doing the job, and that's you know, and that's what you need to do, and it's start producing stuff that's helping the person to do the job if you need to produce mm. anything. So sorry, that was more of a. I didn't really ask a question then. I just. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you on that rant. Yeah, no. It's, um, yeah, I just love how you know Sydney Decker and everyone have framed it up beautifully. You know, safety is an ethical responsibility, not a bureaucratic accountability. I mean, it couldn't be said any better. You know, no, and that's right. mm. and it's like the um, the emperor's got no clothes. You know, we all know this. I mean, mm. it's. it's there's no mystery to any of it, but the the question is how do we deal with this from a systemic point of view? And that's where I believe we need to we need a couple of organisations out there to decide to drop the right to legal privilege, mm-hmm. decide to unpack um, the legal defensibility, which is the hangover from these assurance programs and from the programs where they get discounts for you know meeting these so-called safety management systems, which are there to save everybody. Mm. And and to, I think, build better partnerships with stakeholders in their industries, you know, whether it's like the forums or, you know, the the, the safety bodies which are there to, to support and, you know, potentially regulate and and start to sort of break, break through this. Mm. And I'm... I'm working on a think tank at the moment um, to to start to really cut through to that to that extent because you know we, we just need to unpack this and unpick it and and let's say that we all know that we're kidding ourselves so uh, it, it's just a matter of of having the putting on the, the big knickers I guess I call it over here or the big pants and, yep. And, and stepping forward, and it's not that difficult when you do it. You know, uh, I've been there, and um, you know, it's 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 it, we're just as safe without the paperwork. Mm. Yeah, mm. it's um, you know, and, and I mean, just listening to what you said earlier as well. You know, you know about um, you know about about moving the 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 decision making for your policies and your procedures and your rules down to 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 the to the people the people that are doing the doing the work doing the jobs you know i, could, I was sitting there thinking I could, you, you, there's so many sort of more traditional people that are saying well, all you're doing there is just moving the responsibility you know off your shoulders and moving it down onto them onto their shoulders but you, you know what, what how would you how would you answer that I and mean, i've got an answer to that but how would you answer that yeah, I'd love to hear what you think. Yeah, several things. We know when I've done that, uh, the framing around it, and it's quite clear, and actually this is where you bring in the safety induction. So the safety induction is a conversation around this. So at the end of the day, leadership and, and the organisation itself are still responsible for safety. They're responsible for, for critical risk management and they're responsible for continuous improvement in that. However, what they need to do is delegate authority. So that's where the people on the front line have that authority. So they can make those decisions. They can change according to the conditions. And, you know, they they can adapt their own systems and processes according to their needs. And as they evolve, you know, when they they take that ownership, um, you know, it becomes lean and efficient. So that's those that's the words I use but it's also about actually putting that into action which is that letting go of control so yeah leadership is still responsible 
but giving the teams the authority to to carry out the, the changes and adaptation that they need to. Mm. Mm. What's yeah. your answer to that, Colin? No, and I'm, 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 you know, I suppose I'll be along similar lines. You know, ultimately, you know, the people the people who are, are running the business have still have still got that responsibility, but mm. but they're often they're so they're so removed from exactly what's going on on a day to day basis that that they you know why would they even want to try and control that you know because oh. they because they can't they can't influence it from from a from a boardroom 150 miles away from a site um or you know they feel they think they probably think they can but in actual fact they can't you know and this, this goes back to all this work that david david and drew have done on the um you know workers imagined and workers done you know and uh, you know and it's very much you know it's very much about you know about giving people at the sharp end of the business the 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 authority to to be able to uh to be able to make the decisions because in actual fact they're making those decisions on a daily basis anyway and and, and if you if you if you're confining them and and and, and you know putting them in a position where you've put this 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 series of rules or this series of procedures together that's so restrictive in in how they're written and and then the minute that somebody moves outside of that document um you know you know well what do you do what do you you know what 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 happens is people move outside of that document every single day and and things go well and and everybody pats them on the back and then and then and then if they move outside of that document and it doesn't go well, all of a sudden they're getting criticised for it, and and they've done nothing different. They've done nothing different from one day to the next, other than do their job. And so you know, so it's it's more about you know giving the people the 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 opportunity to, you know, to to develop and design something that works for them, and the management, the senior management team having the, having the confidence. Again, there's there's so much of this about confidence, having the confidence to 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 know that that's the right thing to do. Yeah, and to go with that, one of the things that I've learned from my travels and the different organisations I've, I've worked with is the answer to that kind of black box that exists around, you know, the way humans behave and whether they'll be trustworthy or not is, uh, it's trite to say it, but it's true, is purpose. You know, when, when people uh, are engaged with, with the reason why we're doing what we're doing, then people will step up to anything, you know. Mm. And, and, and I think if organisations really want to ask themselves the hard questions of, you know, how to go on this, this what I would call an adaption journey, is, you know, you have to ask the reason why we're doing what we're doing. And, and you know, people come to work, obviously to make money, but they want to be part of a, a team that performs and that is successful and, and that they have fun doing it. <coughs> yep. and they want to do something that's above and beyond themselves. They want to leave some kind of legacy as a, as a team. And, you know, if, if your organisation is unsure about, you know, in what way it is, is of service to, to um, society, then... And I think those are the questions you need to come back to, really. And um, I, I've always found that it's really that purpose question that needs to be answered in, in order to, to to begin the journey, I guess. Mm. And you know, and and it's um, you know, it's it's so interesting when you, you know, when you ask the the senior management team those questions. You know, those those questions are a little bit, you know, a little bit harder to answer. You know, because you know, you know knowing your why 
is you know is 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 really difficult you know and a lot of people it takes them you know a lot of people's why actually you know makes them actually realize that they don't want to work there at all <laughs> you know they, yeah. they, want to, they want to go and do something else you know because yeah. you know and, and and there's nothing wrong with that you know there's nothing wrong with that but then it's down to them as individuals to to then work out how to make that happen you know what it is that they need to do to make that happen but when you ask a business you know what is your why you know, often, you know, what I see is either they don't, they've got no idea, okay, or mm. they just, they're just looking to one person in the room, you know, for the answer to that. Whereas it, it needs to be, it needs to be bigger than that. It? it needs to be more than just what the, you know, the guy who, who shouts aloud this says, you know. Yeah, well, it's it's a tough one. And, you know, one of the things that I see from my, from my perspective is that, you know, the, there's a lot of unrest in the world, as we know, that things are changing and, you know, we are asking some of the hard questions and, and, and I think everyone wants to be part of organisations that are, that are moving with the times and doing good things, you know, and, and I guess it, that comes back to the question of ethical leadership and, you know, we've started talking about that here in New Zealand within the safety world is what does ethical leadership look like? And, of course, so the safety profession is, is a part of that and I, and I think those are the sorts of things we need to put on the table because you know we can we end up with a, a lot of safety professionals sitting around filling out mostly paperwork filling out creating those reports but what does better, better ethics in our business actually look like and what is it that's going to make people want to come to work and contribute to an amazing team doing what they're doing and and and, and I, there's so much opportunity for us to, to um, explore that further. And, and I think as safety leads, we're well positioned to, to lead the charge on that. And, and I, often, I often say, because the New Zealand Institute of Safety Management have me uh, out doing workshops and talks right around the country on a regular basis, that, you know, we need to transform from safety leads to ethics leads but also performance leads because everyone wants to be part of a high performing team mm -hmm. and, and and that's our role you know how to how to coach people and mentor people into to better performance um to do great things you know and and we're all capable of it yeah mm -hmm. that ethics point is just so important i'm i'm very fortunate to uh to 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 know a guy called simon cassin in the uh, in the uk i don't know if you've come across simon but um, yeah, he he um, he he you know philosophy and psychology and ethics and everything like that is so his bag and um, and I I run with with uh, James McPherson from Rebranding Safety. Um, we run a a sort of a I suppose it's like a mentoring and coaching uh, organization called Project Meletium. We're, we're only new. We're only new. You know, we've um we're we're only on sort of 35, 40 members, and um um and and simon's coming to talk to, to to our people about ethics and and the importance of it um on a regular basis you know it's not he's not coming and talking once he's you know we every single month we're going to be exploring you know the you know the, the power the power of uh, of of getting of getting this particular part of the <clears throat> i think nothing with it is it goes it goes so far beyond health and safety you know, it, it's it's just the way it's the way you live, isn't it? The way you do things. You know, the things that are important to to you as an individual. But it's it's so fascinating. I'm reading I'm reading this book at the moment. Um, meaning meaning in life and why it matters 
by uh, <laughs> by Susan Wolf. Um, what yeah. a what a book! I don't know if you've uh, read that. No, I haven't. No, I haven't heard of that one. Oh mm. well, yeah. I mean, that is that is that is that is a book that really that really challenges how you think about about everything. <laughs> You know, so no, really, really powerful, really, really powerful. So yeah, well, that's it. You know, and when we start asking those questions, and you know, as a social profession, why would you start asking those questions? Well, you know, it's about how we work, isn't it? And it's about mm. how we work together, mm. and and that's what we the conversation needs to be. So yeah, that, that's awesome. the The other thing that comes to mind around this is, <clears throat> I mean, I, I'm. New Zealand European, you know, my ancestry is all Scottish and English and what have you. But, you know, we've got such a, a multicultural society here in New Zealand, as you do in the UK. Can I, can I, can I just um, can I just stop you one? Just, I've got one question to ask you there, right? Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, today, yeah. today is a really important day. Is it Scottish or English? You know, because England are playing Scotland in the European Championships tonight. You know, so so so, what side of the fence are you sitting on? Is it are you English oh, or Scottish? Well, <laughs> oh, my my great granddad was born in Glasgow. There you go. So, <laughs> um, was, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. <laughs> so, no, it's a big it's a big game this evening. So uh, I don't know I don't know exactly when this episode will go out, but it won't be too far after uh, after today. But uh, anyway, I'm sorry, I I, can't, I stopped sorry, you mid flow there, but I had to ask that. Anyway, sorry. sorry. Go. <laughs> I'm, I'm very northern. I'm very northern. Um, um, yeah. Uh, look, you know, and of course, part of being a multicultural society is that, you know, the the Maori people, you know, were here before us with British ancestry turned up, and you know, there is such an, uh, a, a diverse. Um, group of people right across the country with a lot of iwi and tribes and they've really come together I guess in, in recent decades and really are starting to teach some of the principles from their you know philosophies and here in New Zealand we're adapting adapting and adopting I guess uh, some of that thinking into the the framing around safety thinking and mm-hmm. You know, they talk about what they call manakitanga, which is, it's, it's quite a hard concept to translate into English because, you know, our, our Western mindset is quite individualistic, but manakitanga is really about those collective values and about care to care of others, generosity, um, having your, your brother's back and a whole lot more that, that I feel unqualified to even really um, explain well, but that's that's coming into to our conversation here, and and we're using the, that type of thinking to to frame up the reason why we're doing what we're doing, and to build into that ethical leadership conversation, and. I, I think in time that will, will come to inform more and more of what we do when. Um, when I was working for those uh, innovation organisations, you know, a couple of years ago, and, and building my my own approach to to the safety differently, uh, you know, thinking, I used the concept of Ubuntu to to come up with how I wanted to run things. And I've never actually been to South Africa or, or to Africa, but again, that you know, they're, they're very inspiring ways of thinking. I think the the key Ubuntu uh, principle is 
I am because we are. And, you know, when you, when you sort of think in terms of the collective and what that means and, and how you work together in an organization, you know, that's where you start to actually transform your thinking and then adapt that into the, the ways in which you're going to, to practice. So I, I really encourage um, research around that. And, and, you know, we've got a lot of reading that, that, that you can do. Uh, and and, and I, I do believe that, you know, in the coming years and decades, I think that the Māori people from New Zealand will, will have more of a voice in the, in, in the international scene to kind of teach some of that thinking. So... Yeah, really encourage anyone to to look some of that up. Yeah, that's mm. uh, that is really fascinating, you know. And, and I think, you know, from my perspective as well, is you know when you're when you're starting to 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 think and you're starting to work that way, and and you and you're starting to engage with with businesses and people that way, then naturally the the organisations and the companies that you that you work with are just so much more, are so much more responsive and and re and, and and actually really want to do do things the right way because you know because businesses that, that don't you don't you don't work with <laughs> you know it's uh, you know you know and it's you know and it's just, that's really you know it's really great i mean it's getting that getting that kind of a that kind of approach that's, that's really powerful i'm definitely going to check that out i'm definitely going to check out the uh that south african uh element you spoke about there what was it again how did you how do you pronounce it uh my i've looked up some of the clips online and my uh, pronunciation of it is ubuntu u b u n t u if you look up nelson mandela uh you'll find uh, some of the connections to the key figures around you know his teaching at, at the time before he became the leader of uh, the government and you know they talk about it i think uh the uh, the bishop, the Archbishop Desmond Tutu, I think he talks yeah. about it. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so, okay. No, I'll check really, that. really interesting. Mm. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I'm not sure how much more time you've got. I, I realise we've been we've been on over an hour. So, uh, and I appreciate it's uh, it's is it Friday? It's Friday night with you at the moment, is it? Yes, so, yes. It's Friday evening. It's quite a good time to chat, actually, because you know it's quiet and the traffic's dying down. And have everyone... you got a glass of wine? Have you got a glass of wine yet or not? Uh, yeah, I will be very soon. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, it's been really great chatting, Colin. Yeah. <laughs> Could I ask you one last question, and then I'll, I will let you go. Okay. So, so the future, the future of our profession. Then, where, where, how, how do we, how do we move forward as a profession? Yeah. Give me, give me the answer. Give me the answer that we can sort this, 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 this situation out that we've got running at the moment. <laughs> the the uh, bullseye on that one, you reckon? The answer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, um, I do actually say this whenever I speak around in New Zealand. I, I think we need to um, fire ourselves. You know, I think we we need to sack ourselves. I when when uh, when I've set up safety and organisations, I <clears throat> I dare I say it, I make sure that for the most part, you really only got one two people at the, at the max. Uh, we don't need the sort of large teams that that we've. Um, come to know and love and I honestly believe that one of the early steps is is being able to to peel back the amount of safety resource we put into organizations simply because in order to justify those jobs you know we will tend to create safety activities to uh, to fill that time and 
you've got to put your money where your mouth is, learn to trust people and, and reduce that headcount around that. Uh, and I'm not saying that you, you should, uh, how can I say this, uh, you know, send people down the road. What I'm, what I'm really saying is that we need to transform those roles into ethical leadership roles and performance coaching roles. And which is really more of what um, organizations need, you know, spend that time studying sports psychology, spend that time uh, studying, you know, adult education and neuroscience and all of the new emerging types of thinking and, and find new ways to implement that amongst um, the, the activities you do with your teams is far more effective than, than running these safety management systems that we've come to know and, uh, you know, slowly becoming to realise is, uh, is less and less effective now. So, you know, we've, we've got a long way to go, I, I think, but um, it's exciting times for all of us. And, and I think it's all up to all of us to really be brave and step out and, and um, be prepared to learn, make mistakes and, and, you know, and have fun on the journey. So, yeah, it's, it's incredible, isn't it, to be part of such a lot of change at the moment. And it's a real privilege. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I, I couldn't agree. I couldn't agree with you more. It's, uh, you know, I, I used to, I used to look at my, 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 myself and my, my the, the profession as, is quite a, you know, it's quite a, a boring, quite a boring. I mean, I've called my podcast the Interesting Health and Safety Podcast because so many people see health and safety as boring, but when you actually start to frame it in the way that you have there, you know, it's it is so exciting. You know, it's it's, it's a role. It's a it's a position where you can actually go in and, and influence every single part of the organization, you know, that you've got, you've got something to offer to every single thing that a business does and, 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 and challenge that in such a positive way. And why wouldn't you want to be involved in that? You know, why wouldn't you, and why isn't our profession selling it that way? You know, come into this profession and you can, you can, you can help influence everything that a business does you know, and, uh, you know, make it a better place. And, and if we, if we can start to get that kind of thinking rather than <clears throat> you need to have a, a NEBOSH general certificate and, and be a chartered member of IOSH or whatever it is, you know, whatever, you know, whatever the, the qualification is that, uh, that, that are expected or a diploma or whatever it is, and just say, you yeah. know, we, we want people that, that can, that, that, uh, that can engage, that can talk, that can, that can chat, that can, you know, can make people smile. Yeah. <laughs> That is yeah. such a nicer, nicer place to live, live, I'm sure. Molly, how how can people how can people get hold of you if they've uh, if if they liked what they've listened today? And I, and I know they will have done because I've I've absolutely loved it. How can people get hold of you? Oh, sure. I mean, I, I would really invite people to uh, connect with me on LinkedIn if if you would like to. I I love to connect with people. So uh, yeah, pop me a note on LinkedIn and I've got my website. So it's monihog.com. So that's M-O-N-I-H-O-G-G.com. And yeah, love to keep in touch and chat more with anyone who wants a conversation. It's, it's exciting to uh, hear more about what you guys in the UK are doing and happy to share some of the learnings we've got here from down under. So yeah, yeah. No, love, to, love to connect. It's so funny. I'm just sitting here thinking, why on earth did I ask you what was your ancestry when you've got a surname of Hogg? I mean, yeah. there's, nothing, there's nothing more Scottish than that. <laughs> no, not mysterious at all. <laughs> yeah. And have yeah. you got any? Have you got anything coming up? Have you got any? Uh, have you got any? You, you mentioned about doing webinars and things like that. Have you got any? Uh, have you got anything coming up in the next uh, in the next few few weeks or months that you want to tell people about? 
Oh, for sure. I'm in the midst of writing, actually. So I'm uh, moonlighting on writing a book, and it's a handbook for how to adapt to new view methods. And, you know, it's really about, you know, how to ready the organization, how to build a foundation, and how to establish new practices. So, yeah, watch the space that should be coming out uh, sooner than, rather than later. <laughs> well, I, well, I so, tell you, if you if you'd like to if you'd like to come back on and talk about your book when it's out, I'd love to have you back, and uh, you know, we can we can explore it. You know, I'll uh, we'll have a read. We'll have a, part of um part of Project Miletium, which is this uh, this group that, uh, that that James McPherson and myself do. We have a book club, and uh, oh. so every so every month we are uh, we're reading um we're reading um a book called Meltdown at the moment um. Uh, which is all about all about system failure and everything like that. But um, when your book comes out, um, it's uh, you know let's, we'll we'll get it on the uh, we'll get it on the book club and uh, and get our get our professionals uh, reading it. Yeah, so, ours sounds fantastic. Yeah, looking yeah. forward to connecting again. Yeah, Colin, so it's been awesome. Thank you very much. Okay, Molly, thank you so much for coming onto the show. It was absolutely lovely to chat to you. It was a, it was a Friday evening your time. Uh, we were just getting um, ready for the uh, for the England Scotland game, which uh, um, I know you would uh, have some allegiance to Scotland, um, and it turned out uh, a pretty rubbish match. So uh, all that all that hype and uh, anticipation actually led to uh, led to nothing. But what I really want to thank you for is just just some of the insights that you that you brought to the show, and it was it was just really. Um, I just really engage in to hear you just talking about you know the systems and procedures and processes and how you you know try not to try not to write reports. You know, going into an organisation and not writing a report is uh, you know it's quite a, quite a, a an interesting approach, um, quite a brave approach, I suppose. You know, giving the people at the sharp end of the business the uh, the real opportunity to develop and write their own systems and procedures and processes. Again, you know, you really need the, the backing from the people right at the top of the business. Now, ultimately, the confidence in people right across the business for, for that to be to be successful. But, you know, and all the time, you know, you were talking about, you know, about openness, honesty, trust, you know, it starts to move into ethics. Um, I'm, I've spoken to a guy called Simon Cassin, who uh, is really big into ethics in, uh, in the UK. And I'm putting you guys in touch with each other because I believe there's something of real power that you can actually talk about. Um, Simon has been really instrumental in helping us get the right ethical approach into into the business that I've got with James McPherson Project Miletium, um, and it's uh, you know it's just really it's just really fundamentally such a such an important part of, of what good business is about. Hey, look, you know, um, I hope uh, I hope you enjoyed chatting. I know it was your first podcast, and I think you did absolutely superbly. You know, well done. And I'm sure as a result of uh, hopefully being on this show, you'll get plenty of opportunities to talk to other people within the, within the health and safety community around the world. Because uh, there's one thing for sure, you've got a really, really powerful message to, uh, to put out there. Thank you very much, Molly. And, uh, you know, thank you listeners for listening to the to the interesting health and safety podcast. You know, it means so much to me. You know, every, every month our, our listenership grows. Um, the number of downloads goes up, you know, we, you know, it just makes me really, really humble, I suppose, that we are, you know, whether we're putting something together here that's, uh, that's starting to get some momentum. So, you know, so thank you ever so much for, for taking the time. And if you could please share this episode, if you could subscribe, um, you know, and uh, just get it, just get it out there, you know, get more people listening to it, to what it is that we're talking about, then that'd be really, uh, really great to do that. This episode is brought to you in, uh, in conjunction with uh, Project Miletium. Um, you know, Project Miletium is a, is a community 
for people that are just starting out in their health and safety profession, um, or for people that have maybe got to a bit of a plateau and are not sure which way to turn, or maybe towards the end of their careers and you know want to give something back, then uh, then please check out www.projectmiletium.com. It's a fantastic community. We have weekly calls. We have a, a monthly book club. We have a quarterly mastermind wagon wheel. Uh, and there's some, there's some absolutely amazing discussions that uh, that go on. Some fantastic feedback from the people that uh, that are able to come along to the sessions. You know, we really believe that you as individuals will benefit uh, from it. Um, so, um, you know, please check us out. Thank you ever so much. Bye bye now. Thanks for listening to the Interesting Health and Safety podcast. You can follow and engage on Facebook and LinkedIn by searching the Interesting Health and Safety Community or go to www.influentialmg.com. And remember, let's make health and safety as important as everything else we do in business. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guests and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilised in the real world as the only solution available, as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording or otherwise, without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Colin Nottage.